Well, this morning, um, I have to uh, say I don't um, have a lot of stories of things that have lasted a long time in my house that I've built. Um, I know that's shocking to some of you. Um, but uh, there was one in particular that um, was in our backyard when the girls were growing up. And uh, it was green and had two different kind of swings on it as well as a... Uh, kind of like a sawhorse, seahorse, kind of seahorse. (laughs) It's not what it is at all. Uh, It's like one of those things that has like the two, uh, I don't know what it is. Anyway, it went back and forth and you kind of sat on it. It's a whole thing. Um, And when I first put it in, I'm like, oh, this is good. This is fine. Started putting everything in. And uh, I get it all set in. I put it in the ground. I I put the holes around it, the whole thing. And then uh, my father-in-law stops by and he says, you, uh, looks good. looks good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did it myself. (laughs) And uh, he goes, you put concrete in the bottom? I'm like, nope. Concrete for what? He goes, so like the base, like so that, you know, when they swing on it, it's not going to be like, and I'm like, ah, it's fine. Right. And so I just let it go. It's fine. No problem. And, uh, wouldn't you know it like month, like a couple months later, not even that, uh, it starts, they start playing on it. And all of a sudden I watch and, uh, sure enough, uh, the entire swing set is now going with them as they go. <laughs> like it's forward, it's backward. And I'm like, eh, it's good. We're right. Like, and I'm watching from the window, like it's rising up, it's setting back, it's rising up, it's setting back. And I did not, even to this day, it's probably burned to the ground at this point because it didn't last. Um, and it was one of those things I was just like, I do not want to go back and start over. I don't know if you're like me, but there is nothing more frustrating than having to start over on a project, especially when like it took you longer than you expected the project to take. And then you sit there and you go, oh, I, I did step two wrong. And I got to go all the way back and start completely over. Um, this morning, whether it's swing sets or our own lives, I, I think this morning you're going to see that in starting over, um, there's an importance in it. And the importance was that you have a solid foundation. Uh, my swing set did not. There are many things in my house that do not have a solid foundation whatsoever um, because I didn't want to go back. And, and yet Paul is going to talk to the church today in chapter 3 about having a solid foundation to your church, to, to this thing called the body of Christ this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. We've made it to chapter 3. We're moving at a rapid pace, and uh, we're going to continue on this morning as we see that Paul is going to finish talking about this issue of Paul Paul and Apollos and uh, team power versus team wisdom. We don't have the picture this week. Um, And and then then you had those in the church who were like, we're team Jesus. And we're like, okay, you're one of those guys. That's fine. Um, And we're going to talk about those teams. We're going to talk about how it all kind of is going to start to come to a close here in chapter 3. Paul is taking the building of Corinth back to its studs. He's ripping it all apart and he's going back to the beginning. And just like any project that you've built on the wrong foundation, it's going to get irritating. Uh, it's going to get embarrassing, right? I mean, not many kids in our neighborhood wanted to play on our swing set because they were like, no, I love my kids. They're not allowed to play on your swing set. And then that's embarrassing. I mean, I don't care who you are. That's just kind of embarrassing. And so you're like, fine, go play on your own stinking swing set. Um, uh, which is any good Christian should say. And, uh, and, and so it's embarrassing, it's irritating, it's frustrating, and you're going to see a little bit of that this morning, that these Christians who are in Corinth, it's going to get irritating, it's going to get embarrassing, and it's also not only that, but it's also going to be extremely helpful to remember this morning 
that the church itself is not a building. The church is not a church because it, it says so on the paperwork or because zoning has approved us to be in or anything like that. It's not filing with the city and state. The church is not walls and windows. The church is us. And I think many of us know that, but it's a good reminder that the church is the body of Jesus Christ. It's you and me. People who have committed their lives to being fully devoted followers of Christ, who are sacrificial, authentic, intentional about making him known, that is who the church is. And so key to this morning is remembering that when we talk about the foundations and we talk about building projects and taking things back down to studs, it's a simile. I don't know if it's simile or metaphor. It's one of the two. Grammar class didn't work well for me. It's simile or metaphor that Paul uses today to remind us that the church is you, the church is me. And every time in this letter that the church is mentioned, it would more than likely have been not only even a, a, a building like this, But even if you think church in Paul's day, it really wasn't like we all assembled together in one large building. It was actually that they would meet in houses around the area. So these were pretty much house churches. And so this letter would circulate house to house to house, and they would kind of read this letter. But the importance was even those house churches were not, the house wasn't the church, the people inside were the church. And so as we look this morning, remember this, that the foundations matter. And when you use wrong material or when you start with the wrong foundation, you're going to end up irritated, embarrassed, and have to go all the way back to the beginning. And Paul starts with this idea of being embarrassed uh, in verse 1. Let me just kind of read verses 1 to 4. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready For you are still of the flesh, and for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Remember where we started. We started at the the very beginning with this argument that was happening in the church, and it was a pride issue. We said, uh, I think it was week two, we said when pride and preference dictate your life long enough, you're going to start to divide relationally. When pride and preference are in your life long enough, you will start to divide. Pride is the issue in the church. It's an issue back then. It can be an issue today. But pride is the issue we've been in the last few weeks. Pride caused division in verses 1 to 17, chapter 1, 117. Pride said that we are wiser and more, more holy than God in chapter 1, 18 to, 18 to 2, 5. And then pride caused them to even crucify Christ and miss out on the Spirit's wisdom in chapter 2, 6 to 16. So pride keeps coming up and coming up, and they're proving the truth that was given by the wisest man ever alive. Their actions were proving something from the Old Testament, from the wisest man that ever lived according to the Bible. The wisest man that ever lived was, named, was a guy named King Solomon. And King Solomon wrote a whole book about wisdom. And here's one of the things he said about wisdom. Proverbs eleven two. we're going to read the first part only. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. When pride comes first, disgrace is soon to follow. To say it another way, he says, when you trust in pride long enough, disgrace will be right behind you. He says, pride will always bring an uninvited guest to the party. Pride will always bring that third wheel into that date, right? And pride's always going to bring along somebody else. And whoever he brings along is almost always going to be disgrace. When you live in pride long enough, you will end up in disgrace. And Prowl says that pride will always be in the church. And when it does, 
it will bring disgrace. It's proved by the fact that he calls them babies. I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of a harsh way to start. He's like, hey, I wish I could call you all adults, but sadly you're all in diapers and you're all a little bit of an infant kind of thing. And he starts to really go after them in verses one and two. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready. <laughs> now, we, we can kind of sit back and we're like, what's he talking about? Okay, I can kind of understand. We don't fully get it unless we're in the church and you've got these high degrees, right? Imagine like you're, you're it was like, like a seminary professor would be sitting in this room, would be kind of an equivalent. And my seminary professor who has these degrees upon degrees could exegete or, or tear apart this Bible in Greek and Hebrew. And, and yet he says to, in, in this congregation, I wish I could address you as seminary profs, but the fact is I've got to address you as infants and babies because you're not there. I mean, it would have been very, very rude. It would have been very, very disrespectful. And and he did it on purpose because he's trying to break this thing of pride. Pride is probably even relevant here because it's most seen in infants. They have no one else in their life that is more important than them. You know this from having kids, right? When they're little, there is nobody else in the world as important as they are, right? They are the center of their own universe and they love it, right? Now, here's, here's a quick example. If I were to ask you this morning, and I'm not going to make you do it, but if I were to ask you this morning to draw a picture of the person next to you, right? And I handed you pens and crayons and coloring pens and the whole thing, and you're like, this is weird. I know, stick with me. But if I were to do that and hand out all this material to you and you were to draw the person next to you and you drew it and I'd say, okay, now show the person next to you your drawing, what immediately would you do? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know this isn't you. I, I didn't realize that the third chin was in there. That's, you don't really have that. I'm just saying it was just kind of weird. And your, no, your nose doesn't really look like that. I apologize. And I don't really know why your eyes are like this, but I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, right? That's what we would do. Give that to your toddler and you'd say, draw a picture of mommy or daddy and they draw it and they're like, look at you. And you're like, I kind of see it. And they're so proud, right? They're just so excited because they don't, they don't care what your opinion really is because their work of art is their work of art and they love it, right? There is nobody else in their world. They love what they are and they love who they are and they have no problem letting you know that they love who you are. They have no problem letting everyone know that the world revolves around them. But here's the thing. They know, they sh- they, they're not expected to know better. We are And so Paul, in this scenario, is saying, hey, guys, you're toddlers. You shouldn't act like this, but you are. And so I need you to understand there's more to this than just infants. And so Paul says, I should not expect it from you all. You're grown adults, but but I do. So you, Corinth, you should be past this, but they're not. Their pride has led them to disgrace, to being called out and acting like infants and so in verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. Here's a fun word. That, that word of the flesh is actually, if you were to read it in the Greek, is actually you're still fleshy. It's <laughs> a fun word. Um, I don't know if you ever want to use that around the house. You know, you're kind of fleshy today. What are you saying? And spow, right? Um, fleshy. It's, it's just mean, it, it means that you're just, you're just human. Like you're just acting really human today. Not many of us are like, I don't understand. That's a compliment. Is that a backhanded thing? It was a backhanded thing. Um, It's not meant to be a a good thing. He says, you're acting just like a homo sapien today. You're acting very human and not very Christ-like today. So you're still flesh. And he says, the reason why I say this is because there's still jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But the verse in Proverbs ends like this, Proverbs 11, verse 2, but with the humble 
is wisdom. And humble is where Paul wants us to go next. Humility is where he says, but with humility comes wisdom. And so this pride is going to bring disgrace, but humility will bring wisdom. Let's go to verses four and five. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. Here's an interesting thing, right? He says, not, you know, you're being human, but he doesn't say who then is Apollos, right? He doesn't say who is Paul. He uses a very word on purpose, and it's translated correctly here as what then is Paul? What then is Apollos? That's very different, right? If I were to say who they are, I could, I could add their accolades. I could tell all their degrees. I could tell all the important things about them. It adds a personhood to them. But Paul strips them of all those things, and he uses a different word. He uses what then is Apollos? What is Paul? And that's very important. They, they, he's going to go on to explain what they are here in verse 6 and 7. They are equals. They are working hands in the field of Jesus Christ. Verses 6 and 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, humility allows Paul and Apollos to say that we are servants. It's not about who watered. It's not about who planted. It's about Christ who did the work and gave the growth. Because here's, here's the reality. Paul came in as the church planter, right? He came in, he laid the foundation. He did the work of, of starting with nobody and then gathering a few. And then after he gathered a few, he, he gathered them together in a group. And then after he gathered them in a group, he says, we're going to launch and we're going to be bigger and we're going to grow and we're going to reach more people. And Paul in Corinth did what he always did. He planted the church. He's a church planter, Right. And so as he did it, he could have very easily said, done, I've done all my work, I'm good, I can just walk away. But instead, he says, no, there was another role that needed to be played, and that was the role of Apollos. And so Apollos came in after Paul, and Apollos was a really good speaker, really good with language, really good at how he could communicate. And so he came in, and he grew the church in maturity, because Paul would go off, and he would plant another church, and he'd plant another church, and he'd plant another church. But Apollos would stay and he would give them the word of God week after week. And he says, hey, here's the deal though. Even if I planted and Apollos is the one here with you giving the sermons every week, the truth and the reality of everything all this is, Paul is nothing, I'm nothing, only Christ is something in this equation. He gives them an example of planting, right? He gives them an example of watering and, and, and this whole idea of a plant growing, which is very, very important because in this culture, agriculture would have been a very big deal. And so he would give them the image of, hey, Paul, me, we're just standing in the field with all the other higher hands. Jesus is the one who owns the field. We are nothing. He is everything. To give you a, another example of this, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a story, uh, and we'll go there here. I actually can go there real quick. Matthew chapter 20, he gives a story of a parable of an owner of a vineyard, okay? And he, in this story, Go there real quick, give you some, some background of this. In this story, he, he goes and he finds these guys who are hanging out in town and they're looking for jobs. Well, some of them are looking for jobs. Others are just standing there because they got nothing better to do. You're going to see that in a second. But he goes and he tells a story about a vineyard to tell the point of we are all just hired hands. Let me just kind of give you this because I love his, the way Christ just gives stories. For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 
After agreeing with the laborers for Denarius, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And then he said, you two go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So he goes out nine o'clock in the morning, goes out at nine o'clock, the start of the work day. And he grabs some guys and says, hey, are you looking for a job? They're like, yeah, we're looking for a job. We'll take some money. Hey, I've got a vineyard. Go start working in the field. And they start going to the field and they start working the field. This goes on for a couple of hours. And then Jesus comes back in town around noon. And he says, hey, around noon, there's still more guys hanging out. They need a job. Hey, I want you to go. I'll give you a day's wages to go in. And I want you to start working in my field. They're like, sure, we could use the income. Let's go ahead and do that. And so he goes out and he gets more workers. About, um, he says, uh, so they went out. And then he says that the third hour he saw others. Uh, verse four, you go into the vineyard two. Going again at about the sixth hour. And the ninth hour, he did the same. And so this is basically, he goes out at noon. He goes out at three o'clock in the afternoon. And he gets more people at three o'clock in the afternoon. He's getting this whole hired hands in. They're going to the field. They're working. And he's promised to pay them a certain amount of money, right? And they're all working and it's hot and, and everybody's kind of there and, and they're thinking in their heads, okay, this is probably going to be an hourly thing, right? So let's, let's keep that in mind. And then he goes out about five o'clock in the afternoon when the workday shuts down at six. <laughs> and so he goes out at about five o'clock in the afternoon. He goes back into town. He goes back into town. He says, hey, who needs a job at five o'clock in the afternoon? Or yeah, five o'clock in the afternoon. And he finds some guys. They're like, well, we're not really looking to work, but I guess we could work. And so he takes these guys at five o'clock in the afternoon, sends them into the field, and they start working. About an hour later, he goes by. He comes back to the field. And at six o'clock, it's closing time. He goes, all right, time to ante up. It's time to pay you guys which, what, what I thought would pay you. And so he gathers all the workers together, and they're sitting in the middle of this field. And you can imagine how awkward this is. The guys that show up at nine... He starts paying them out. They get, you know, let's say $100 and they, that's, that's, your, that's your pay. Here you go. 100 bucks is yours. First guy's paid. Then he goes to the guy he gets at noon. Hey, 100 bucks. Then he goes to the guy at three, 100 bucks. Then he goes to the guy at five o'clock, 100 bucks. And you're like, wait, right? Can you imagine that? You're kind of watching the go and you're like, 100 bucks. 100. I've been here all day. That guy shows up for an hour. He gets paid what I get paid. How does that work? It's union. No, I'm kidding. Um, he's like, it's, it's, it's how it worked, right? I'm, I'm just kidding. Nothing against it promise. Um, uh, and so, so you're like, wow, that was too soon. I get it. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but he says, hey, I want you to know that you're just going to get all the same amount of pay. And they're like, that's not fair. You can't do that. You can't pay us the same amount as this guy. We came in for an hour. We did an hour's worth of work. You said you're going to pay us for the day. We came in for your day. The other guys came at nine. And I love his lines here in verse 16 and 15. This is what he says. This is how Jesus ends the parable. In verse 16, the last will be first and the first last. And then, this is beautiful. He ends with this, and this is what we're going to go back into Corinthians with. He says this, verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? <laughs> am I not the owner of the field? Can I just not pay you what I think I should pay you? Should I, can I not just be generous to who I want to be generous with? of which they had no answer. Because all of us in this story, read this story and we're like, that's not fair. You can't do that. And God says in the, in the economy of God, I decide what's fair. You are the workers. I am the boss. I get to decide what I pay. And they, it frustrates the Pharisees. It frustrates those who hear the story. It may frustrate you this morning. But here's what Paul and Apollos knew. We are workers in the field. We do not own the field, so whatever he wants to pay us is on the boss and not on me, right? That's a very, very different thing culturally. Not many of us would be okay with that. 
But he says to Paul and Apollos, he says to this church, hey, this whole idea of pride, he who plants and he who waters, verse 8 and 9, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. Now, just a quick translation here on 8 and 9, that he who plants and he who waters and we are God's fellow workers. Just a quick translation thing here. That does not mean that we are on equal with God. That actually is better translated that we are underneath him as workers. We are, his fellow workers does not apply to God. His fellow workers applies to Paul and Apollos. Does that make sense? So just so you're clear on that, sometimes it gets translated as if we're equal to God on the working scale. No, no, no. He's saying Paul and Apollos are equal fellow workers in God's field. And he says, we are servants in the field of God. And he says this because he knows what we all know inherently. And that is this. Pride distorts everything. Doesn't it? I mean, think about your life and the last time you got really, really arrogant and really, really, it has to be my way and it's got to be the way it works. And have you seen my swing set? It's amazing, right? Anytime you've been there, you realize that pride distorts, right? In my mind, my swing set was awesome because I had dug it into the ground. I had done the work and it was meant to do that. It's like an extra ride when it goes like this, right? It's an awesome little thing. You should, you should come. Your kids will be great on it, right? It distorted the fact that it was a safety hazard for all involved and nobody should be on that thing. And I'm glad they tore it down because it was very, very unsafe. But pride will always distort reality. It, was, it will distort our view of ourselves in relation to God, right? It distorted the workers. God, who are you to say you're going to pay me this much? Is it your field? Yeah. Well, that's not fair. You don't understand, right? In reality, it distorts our relationship to God. We think that we are equal with him in some way, but it also not only distorts our relationship to God, it also distorts your relationship to each other, your spouse, your boss, your coworkers, your friends, your children. It distorts it because when pride comes into the picture, you never get a clear view, right? It makes our needs bigger than others' needs. When pride comes in, my problems are bigger than your problems, I have bigger issues than you have. Why, why are they always complaining about that on Facebook? Why can't they understand like my issues are far more important than their issues? It makes our problems more overwhelming than theirs, right? It, it, it creates the comparison game. Whenever pride comes in, comparison game starts to kick in. And whenever you start to play the comparison game, can I just tell you this morning, this is a freebie. Whenever you play the comparison game, you lose. I don't care how you play it. You're always going to lose when it comes to comparison. There's just no win in it. Because you're always going to set yourself up against somebody else that's unrealistic. Unless you compare yourself to God and say, I will put myself as a worker in his field. Pride, even more than that, pride gets dangerous because pride will keep you a victim and continue to blame others for your current status in life. Pride will always look to somebody else as the problem. And it will never look internally. Here's the thing about pride. It never allows you to look at yourself. Isn't that amazing? Pride is all about yourself, but it never allows you to look at yourself and say, you may be the issue, right? I say this all the time in, like, in, in people that are, that are dating a lot, and, and maybe they've, they've dated through like 20 people in a month. <laughs> and they're like, I just can't find the right guy. And I looked at him like, let's, go, let's, walk, let's walk through this just for a sec. So there's been 20, right? Well, give or so, I mean, maybe 10. Okay, and every single one there's been an issue. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Okay, so let's, let's just trace that back. Like, what's the common denominator 
in all of these? Was it Applebee's? Was it, you know, Taco Bell? Was it where you ate? Was it the time? Was it, no, it wasn't, no, we went on a Friday. That one we went on Saturday. That one was more of a weekend. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so let's back that up. What's the common denominator here? Do you think it's the, 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 the location, the, the, the them? Yeah, they've got a lot of issues. The guys I date have a lot of issues. Here's the interesting thing, right? That always, they always kind of be like, oh, the common denominator's you. <laughs> the com- nobody wants to hear that. Nobody likes to hear that. But the common denominator is, is you. You are the one that's been on every single date. You're the, thing, the, the one that's been on every single issue. And yet you, we have a hard time seeing it, don't we? We have a hard time seeing that sometimes in all of our issues, and we feel like it's a repetitive cycle, we just can't get it right, we just can't get it right. We often have a hard time acknowledging that sometimes the key denominator in all of it is you. (laughs) And and somebody once said a very important, big truth. You're going to write this down. It was uh, so deep. It was basically, wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, wherever you go, you're there, right? And so wherever you go, you take you with you. You take yourself into all of those different scenarios. And so sometimes pride will keep you as a victim and continue to blame others for your current status in life. Pride, to put it visually for you this morning, pride is the chihuahua breed of dogs, right? We had those. We've had two, right? God bless them. But my goodness, man, you take those things out and like they are like full on, like we got this, bro. We got this. And they're like, he's this huge Rottweiler. I can face him. And they're just like, yeah, bring it, right? And they think they're like 500 pounds. And they're like shaking because that's what they always do. They shake, ours shook all the time, right? And you're looking at this going, oh my gosh, that dog's going to eat your dog. And I'm like, I know, but my dog thinks he can take that dog. Like, it's just an amazing visual. Whenever you think pride, I want you to think that little shaking chihuahua, right? And we can kind of put ourselves there. We're like, we're so big and we're so intense and we're so obtrusive. But in reality, there is a very distorted view in that dog's brain. <laughs> Correct? I love them. But there's a very distorted view when they hit the playground and they're like, we are the biggest dogs here. And then a hawk comes in. <laughs> See you, Abby. Right? It's part of that deal. They're a very distorted view. And here's the reality. Many of us this morning have a distorted view of ourselves. We walk into our jobs. Do you know who I am? We walk into our spouse and our wife and our, and our, 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 our colleagues and even our family at home. And we say, do you know who I am? To which they respond, yes, we do. <laughs> know who you are. We got it. Power it down, little chihuahua. We're okay. <laughs> Paul is telling this Corinthian church who had that mentality, do you know who we are? We are Team Apollos. That's who we are. Do you know who we are? We're Community Bible Church. We've grown from nothing to here, man. Look at how we've grown. Look at us. Look at what we're doing. Look at how good we are. Look at how amazing we are. Look at how relational we are. We have got this down to which we have to take a step back and say, Community Bible Church, we are nothing. <laughs> we are workers in the body of Christ. And we are all susceptible to anything any other church is facing right here, right now, in this community and abroad. We could be taken out like that. Because if we don't build on the right foundation, we build on the wrong thing. And God reminds these people in Corinth, you should be building on the great building. We are the building. 
We are not the structure. The church is the building. He ends in verses 10 to 15. And he says, this is why we can have pride. If we want pride at all, this is how we have it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 to 15. We have pride according to the grace of God given to me. That's what I build on. Grace given to me. Grace given to you. Grace that you are not burned up. Grace that you are still alive today and moving towards him, being more like him. Grace God given to me. Like a master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No church is going to make it now, then, and ever is going to make it unless Christ is the foundation. Not how good we serve, not how many programs we have, not how many buildings we own. All of those things are light. All of those things are small. All of those things are little compared to the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, there's a whole bunch we can go into in this passage. You can go into the church age. You can talk about eternal security. We can go into a bunch of different things. Let me just kind of say for the sake of this morning, he is basically saying, if you build on the wrong thing, you're going to see it when you get to eternity. If you've built a church on just personality and just on preference, you're going to see it when you get into eternity. He says, you're going to see it even here on earth. There will be times where you realize you've built on the wrong foundation. And he says, the only way the church of Jesus Christ, you all, the only way we make it through this life and into eternity is we build on the right foundation of Jesus Christ him and him alone, building on the right foundation with the right materials. To put it another way, whoever diminishes Jesus' power and glory is the hay, wood, and straw. Whatever, whoever diminishes God's power and glory is hay, wood, and straw. Whatever we do as a church that diminishes Jesus' power and glory, hay, wood, straw, gets burned up. Not going to mean anything. And there have been plenty of things that I have done in my life and in ministry that I would say diminished God's power and glory that were just burned up and I have nothing to show for it on eternities, on the other end of eternity, right? There are many events that I planned in youth ministry that I'm like, this is gonna be the best event ever. We had all these kids come and it was all this thing and nobody ever grew. Nobody ever did anything out of that event. And I look at them like, could that have been one of those things that I did it all for me and I did it all for the, the sake of how many kids we had coming to the event and it's not showing Christ's power and glory. It will be burned up. On the other side, whatever exalts Jesus' power and glory is the stone and precious metal. Whatever exalts his power and his glory, whatever exposes our weakness and say, I will boast all the more in my weakness Whatever that is exalts Christ's power and glory in his precious material. The passion here, the desire for me this morning is to show you that pride will distort, but when you build on the right base, there is a passion that comes with it. And I have a passion this morning to reveal the strong foundation of Jesus Christ. The passion to pray that God would strengthen the base and call for more builders. Because if we build with the wrong materials, he says there's three things that happen here. One, the church will be injured. Secondly, the builder won't receive the reward. And third, deconstruction of the church and ourselves will happen. If we keep building on hay and straw long enough, 
The church will be injured. That's huge. That's important. The builder won't receive the reward, and the destruction, the deconstruction of the church and ourselves will start to happen. And so this morning, as we wrap up, I'm excited to say that this sermon is actually far more of a preemptive rather than a fixing the problem. So I, what I say that is, I don't, I don't think that as Community Bible Church, we've got a lot of this like strong pride per se that exists in us. But I have to say, it is a warning to us that if we start building on the wrong things, if we start putting all these things in place that don't increase the power and the glory of Jesus Christ in this body, we're building things that are going to be burned up when we get into eternity. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. If you continue to do things in your life that don't enable the power and the glory of Christ to be seen, they're seen as hay and straw and they'll be burned up. And instead, we want to focus on the fact that Paul says, if we're to get this right, we've got to power down, we've got to let pride go by the wayside and allow ourselves to become servants. We're to, we're to be those fellow, fellow workers in the field, in God's field. Why? Because that's how Jesus did it. If you look at Christ's life, it's an amazing thing. When you look at Christ's life, he was always serving. He was always helping. He never played the God card, right? I don't want to, I'm God. See, God, right? He never once trumped anything because he was just, it, was, it was below him or beneath him. He always served, and so here's what we're going to do. I want to give you a visual this morning as we close, and then we're going to sing out songs about this idea of Christ being that foundation for us. So we're going to do two things. One is a visual. The second one is I want to just kind of show you. And the next thing is we're going to sing out that truth of that Christ is that foundation for us, that he is that, that thing we build upon. So, so this idea of servanthood, right? This idea of uh, being nothing, fellow workers in the, in the realm of Christ. Here, this is what I want you to do. I'm not, I don't normally do this, and so it's going to be hopefully not too embarrassing for some, but if you serve anywhere this, in the church right now, if you're serving anywhere, kids ministry, community groups, um, anywhere, could you please stand for me? Do, do a second, stand. If you serve anywhere right now, currently, and you, you help out here. Okay, now that's step one. Good. Come up here for a second. I know, you love this. All of you are serving like, this is why I don't surf, right? Like all of you are like, this is why. No, seriously, come on up. This is good. Ah, oh, see, servants hate this. They're like, I serve so that nobody sees me. I get it. That's fine, right? Oh, this is so good. This is so good. See, you're going to remember this visual. And I'm going to have to explain to Michelle why she lost all her servants. All right, so as they're doing this, right? Oh, man. So if you serve in any way, God's saying this as servants in the body of Christ. As awkward as this is, right? Imagine Jesus Christ when he came to the, the table at, at the Passover and he asked him, and I'm not going to do this. A lot of you guys are like, you're not going to wash your feet, right? No, I'm not going to wash your feet. I know. They're, they're working on something. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So... So visually what this looks like in, in the idea of servants and fellow workers is, is the fact that if Christ were to do this and if Christ were to kind of have like a sermon and he's kind of speaking, he would actually teach probably a little bit more like down here, which is a little weird, right? A lot of you guys are like, but that's the past. Why is he down the floor, right? Here's the reality though, because here's the visual I wanted to see this morning is when we see ourselves as Christ is the foundation we can get really, really comfortable down here. 
we can get really comfortable and we can start pushing people up towards him. Because ultimately, imagine the awkwardness of the disciples as Christ gave the same message to them and they're all sitting there going, that's the son of God, why is he down there? And he says, I've come to serve, not to be served. And this morning, I hope that you can kind of see this visual of serving is important. It's this idea that we are all at base level at the cross. You guys can grab a seat. Thanks. This morning, I know it can be intimidating to think like, where is this and how's this land? But honestly, this morning, guys, that's the reality. If we build on the right structure, if we build on a foundation that is Jesus Christ, we have no issue where we stand. We have no issue being below. We have no issue propping others up. This morning, I want to read this, and then we're going to sing out some songs together that declare the same thing as we close out. But he says this, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be revealed. If that work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Because the thing that we build on is the grace given to me by Jesus Christ. And the thing that levels all of us out, pride, all of it included, is the, the cross of Jesus Christ. This morning, I hope you understand the community of Bible Church, we are, we are all to be servants. We are all to serve. We are all to be fellow workers. And we're going to be killing pride every single day in our lives. Because when it starts to creep in, we start to form teams and Apollos and Team Jesus and Team Paul and Team Peter. And he says, no, 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 all of that, none of that matters. What matters is a strong foundation. The foundation that is to be laid is that of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, this morning, um, I thank you for a visual example of you at the Passover meal when you came before the disciples and they were all excited about what was to come. They thought for sure that they were going to be next in line to rule. They thought for sure that the kingdom of God was coming and Rome was going down. They thought for sure they had this nailed down. And I thank you for being a servant who in the midst of those men stood up, wrapped a garment around yourself like an apron, and went down on your knees to say, I will serve and I will wash your feet. Dad, what an amazing example of killing pride in all of us. God, the one who waters, the one who plants, they're nothing. You give the growth. You are the one that sustains us. May our base be correct as Community Bible Church. May we build on Jesus Christ and Him alone. May we build on your foundation. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.